0: Carrying huge pace, look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lord's. Rain so close. Getting the last step down, the crowd is roaring. He is gonna do it, he's gonna smash the time oh, oh, my he's- he's-
1: Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling.
0: I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, And adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality recovery mental clarity and alertness now I don't care what you do I think we can all agree this is super important AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts to make trying it easy athletic greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle again That is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. How's it folks? Welcome back. This is Moving the Needle podcast. I'm your host, Andrew But You're not tuning in for me. I've got a humdinger of a guest for you lined up. Someone I've been watching fly off cliffs, 360 off drops that I was too scared to go off half the time. He has been pioneering freeride for longer than I can remember, stepping away uh, from sort of competition last few years. And I'm eager to dig into what it's like, especially on the freeride side, because I know what it's like on the racing side. But he's done great things for the sport, inducted into the Hall of Fame. Darren Bearcloth, the Bear Claw, the Claw, my man. Long overdue this, on, but uh, w- yeah, welcome. <laughs>
1: thanks bud thanks for having me on appreciate it
0: yeah man shit it's it's been long overdue we crossed paths in europe and it's it's been like that over the last few years we didn't go to all the same events but it's always awesome having the races and the free riders sort of in the bar after the the event like in whistler (laughs) comparing notes if you will
1: what you been up to absolutely Oh, yeah. It's been, uh, it's been a busy life. I had a pretty good little fall road tripping. Went down to the States. Um, I did that Hall of Fame induction. Uh, got to hang out with a bunch of buds. Did some surfing, some riding, a little bit of filming, and then went over to Rampage. And uh, yeah, that was, a, <laughs> that was a, a colorful experience from recent Rampages. And then uh, went to Hawaii and then also did a film trip in Peru.
0: Yeah, you've never been one to to sit back, but you said colorful rampage. But I mean, you haven't been competing for a few <laughs> few years. Why why is it colorful?
1: I judge this year. Is this the so, first time judging? Um, it wasn't my first time judging. It was I judged years ago. Uh, probably I think it was like oh four or oh five. I think I judged, but yeah, a long time since I've judged, and uh, obviously things have changed a lot. But at the the bottom line is judging your friends and critiquing your friends is a it's a tough job because you know everyone comes out at the end of the day you know like hating you because you didn't judge them appropriately in their own own opinion and it's a it was a learning experience for me actually because i don't know if you want to dive into this topic right away but um, the biggest thing for me was you know having an unbiased really digging into every single line and having an unbiased perspective on every single line versus being a competitor all those years. As a competitor, you're so focused on your line and that's all you care about. And for a good handful of the guys, they think it's the winning line. And that's why they're there doing it, putting their life on the line, but they don't really Unbiasedly look at every single other line, like top to bottom. They'll may they may be like if there's something nearby their line, they'll look over and they'll watch it, or they'll be digging right beside it, and then um, they'll you know see see the other athletes ride it, drop dropping, doing cliffs and whatnot. But at the end of the day, they don't pick it apart like a judge does. So like, that was a big transition for me from all those years being like, okay, yeah, I kind of see that other rider's line. And I, and I had an idea what I think it should score, but I never really walked over there and looked at every single part of their line. And that's like the biggest difference from a competitor to a judge and then post event and having everybody, you know, have their own opinion. And so that was, that's the biggest change.
0: Yeah. And, uh, being a former competitor and, and it hasn't been that many years, some of you must still sort of maybe itch to be there. 100%. How hot I didn't want to stop. Right. Yeah, which is obviously gonna be a lot of this podcast because I just am so fascinated <laughs> at the the mental side of that. But on the rampage, do you not do you still catch yourself being a bit biased if you're like, Yeah, I could probably ride that or these are guys that used to compete again, because now you've got to wear this judge hat, but you're new to the judging hat. So is that, have you got to consciously be like, hey, I've got to be as unbiased as possible? What is this line really gonna be like on, on the judging side?
1: Well, here, here's the, the hard part is like, I'll always look at a line and visualize myself riding it. And that's how I judge because um, I can ride, still ride everything in that event maybe a couple things i wouldn't chew off especially with my age nowadays but you know all of that was in my wheelhouse at some point in time so i look at it and i can visualize okay this is why this drop is actually really gnarly because there's a bunch of exposure here or coming into it, it was really tricky because you're like right along the cliff edge and you could scrape your bar and fly off that cliff so that part of it when i'm judging is i put myself in that position but the harder part is the when you are a certain type of rider every single rider has strengths and weaknesses so like for instance some guys are like i don't like blind takeoffs and then other riders are like i'm totally fine with blind takeoffs so that's where the unbiased you really need to step into that because for me i'm strong at some things and weak at other things and every rider has their weaknesses throughout like you know types of terrain so that's the that's the tougher part is taking that piece and saying like a good example would be like um you know big step down drops like plum drops like i'm very comfortable with those where some riders are like oh my god that was the gnarliest thing i've ever done in my life why didn't you judge that so high But then i'm like well it's actually pretty easy but that's where the you have to step away and, and be unbiased in that position because i'll 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 look at something and i'll be like yeah this is pretty mellow and then like (laughs) you know some of my fellow fellow judges will be like oh my god this is so gnarly and i'm like it's pretty mellow and then that's where you got to be like "Hmm, you know maybe maybe i do need to take a back seat on this and and rethink Ah, goddamn earbuds my ears are weird shape um and, yeah, take a step back and, uh, and yeah, rethink how I'm going to um, score this this feature or, or line.
0: And is that where the panel of judges is critically important to keep judges in check as well, right? So, you're like, that. I was going to ask you that exact thing. Okay, but Claude, you're pretty confident in certain things, even at your age, which you've mentioned. Like, some things are just natural. Speed to me is maybe not as gnarly as speed to you or whatever it may be. So 100%. You're a
1: racer. You're comfortable at those speeds. Yeah.
0: So some of those things I'll be like, oh, I might pick that off. So I might – you bring your bias in everything in life, and it's really hard to, to come there. But I guess the panel of judges hopefully evens it out for a fair event then.
1: Absolutely. And that's why you have the numbers there, because every person is going to have their strengths personally, and that's going to reflect upon their on the judging. So that's why it's a it's an averaging agreement, per se.
0: Yeah, I mean, that fascinates me. Like you made a career in in judged events, right? You know, when you got in, got into mountain I don't know biking,
1: how, how you do unjudged events?
0: <laughs> no, but I mean, what I mean is like you, you know, there's there's so many times you might have felt you did better, or or vice versa. Like the world of free ride is is judged events, you know, over a career span and 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 a, and a season. I would think it's fair, but there's definitely got to be times where we can all agree. Uh, probably would have maybe. Put someone ahead of someone, and I'm not knocking judges. Like I, I've, I've sat with the crew at, at at some of these events, and I and it's a horrible job. I I wouldn't want to do it myself.
1: Absolutely, and yeah, you're right. Throughout my entire career, I've been on both ends of the spectrum. You know, I've been where I'm like, yeah, you know what? I don't think I I would have gave gave the win to that person today. And then I've been on the end where like I'm in six where, you know, I probably should have been closer to like second or first. So there's no athlete that goes through their career and judged event that doesn't have an experience like mine. It's just the way it goes. And the hard part is, you know, understanding and being OK with that subjective system that you're putting yourself into. And us riders, as free riders, we, we're voluntarily putting ourselves at the mercy of some judge. And it's like, it sucks sometimes, but it, and when you look, sit back and look at the whole picture, you're like, this is the sport we're in. It's not a freaking race situation where if you cross the finish line with one tenth of a second in front of the other one, you were the clear winner.
0: Yeah, but it's an yeah, it's an uncontrollable, isn't it? And it's just—it's like weather and downhill. But judging mm-hmm. isn't uncontrollable for for an athlete. Look, you obviously put your best foot forward, and I think, uh, like I said, I wouldn't want to do the job. I think it's come on leaps and bounds. Um, but there's always, I guess, human error biases that unconscious bias that they will never even know about.
1: Yeah, and you know, you touched note on something that would be a pretty—I would say almost compare fair comparison with the dh scene is like say you know the half the field rode in the dry and then all the top field rode in the wet and there was a couple of the athletes that are top 10 riders that didn't have good seating runs so they were in the first half so they end up winning and that does happen in in the race scene so like that's where it's like oh you know did he really win should he would have won but then at the same time, it's still an absolute because it's like, hey, that's the system we're in and that's just what I, um, we got to deal with.
0: Yeah, and um, this topic's come up obviously in the bar after slope sell or whatever. <laughs> I'm almost I'm almost at the point where I would prefer placing and I'll get to why is, is because I'm not sure if it would actually work. But the guy that drops first or near the beginning and he has say a bad ranking from last year in slope or, or rampage and he puts it on a banger run. They can't put that thing at 97 out of 100 because they're like, shit, how many other guys are going to have better runs than that, right? So they, they put a number. I know the number doesn't correlate to like his placing.
1: It means nothing.
0: It means nothing, but to the spectator, it sometimes means something. Like, what do you mean you gave that an 82? This guy double backflipped that and he did that. And then from there, you're going to just have a level of scoring. Like the winning then could be 85 and not... Ninety-five, but I wonder if it's like, dude, you're in first place. Then the next guy comes on, you're in second, and you judges, I guess, mm-hmm. have the scoring, but you maybe hide it from the spectator. But I don't even know if that's a full of shit. Example
1: or a? Suggestion. I think that needs. I think that needs to happen because even as an athlete, I used to focus so much on a you know the, the score because you're like, yeah, mid nineties, heck yeah, I yeah, solid. You know, you get like an eighty-five, you're like meh. Alright. And then if you win yeah. with eighty five, you're like, okay, yes. You know, so that's why, you know, the score scoring should just be for the, the judges and at the very worst, be told at the end. You know, I mean like it's just you're you're placing at best and and I felt like you know, at rampage, you know, I'm gonna mention it to the boys, but uh yeah, the team I think there should be some emphasis on like an actual show on the judging because there's so like so much controversy every single year on the judging and i think they should do like a little mini piece before the event on educating everyone on what line is looking good and why and then at the event not even show the placings just re-rack them you know, second run, and everyone's just like, oh, I think, because that's what it was back in the day.
0: What, like, not tell the guy if he's at number one or not? It's like a blind yeah, blind re-rack for the second run?
1: Something like that, because, like, the whole scoring thing and, you know, people getting all bent out of shape, it kind of kind of puts some, I don't know, negative spin on it. I definitely say, like, maybe, maybe re-rack them with your placings but definitely not tell people the scores on hand because there's so much um, better things that come about from that just as a judge you're like you're pressured to come up with the score right away and I was always the guy like they were like come on bear cloth like come on get your score in and I'm like fucking hold on a second this is important give me a second <laughs> this is very I think important about this. I'm like I'm like okay shifting people I'm like okay that doesn't make sense that line can't with his run you can't be above him and, and just like placing and then you're like oh crap I got I got no oh damn it I gotta okay I gotta adjust this and it's like it's it's a lot of pressure like and it's got to be done quick
0: there's a lot of pressure and that's why I'm like look like you just said okay but is he he wasn't better than that guy but he's better than that guy and then what, he slots into fifth right it's like oh, well the number like you said okay mm-hmm. well that means he's probably in 86 it's like I didn't even get to 86 I so just put him in fifth yeah, I, I yeah. mean, there's always ways to to like get a little bit incrementally better. I I don't know, about – yeah, re-racking would be cool. Like for the fans, it's great, but an event like Rampage, I think you've got to be fair and say, dude, you're in first, and if no one beats your score, like we don't expect another run because you don't want guys going hell for leather, yeah, throwing when, their meat, when, yeah, throwing their meat, getting hurt on the second run when when unfortunately that's the nature when they don't of the sport. Need to. If they want a glory yeah. run or have a buy, yeah, go they've earned that.
1: Absolutely. And like, I'm I'm all for like, you know, glory runs just because, you know, being in that position, you you sit there and you wait, you know, you sit there and wait. And especially if you're like a a good competitor, and you're there to win, which a lot of the guys are, you know, you sit there and you're like, Okay, no one beat my score freaking glory run, you know, and and we've seen it before some guys throw down hammers, because they're that confident on the bike and some guys just cruise. And either or, it's amazing to to have you know watch someone do a glory run. And yeah, I agree with the re rack in terms of um, placings. And you know, let's be honest, how often do we get a, a complete second run at Rampage because of the wind?
0: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> no, like... that's a whole nother topic. There's <laughs> got to be a better yeah. way, man. I think like, I mean, surfing the sport of surfing survives. I don't know. I don't know the numbers. I mean, I'm hearing Rampage numbers are off the charts. So. This show's cool, but at the same time, I'm kind of, they need a weather window of days where they can just get this event done. Cause what if, what if they don't even get it done because of wind?
1: You know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think that the common denominator is we got to start early. We've done it before, um, you know, we start at eight o'clock. You know we get up there you get like half an hour 40 minutes of daylight to just do your warm-up kind of you know half a run or quarter run or just hit a couple hits on the on the on the course and then you rack for eight a.m. Yeah. because it's it's pretty constant that time of the year in utah for the wind to pick up around 11 11 30 um you know it's, it's just constant catabatic winds you know the cliff walls heat up and starts pulling and it's 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 standard and it's only been a couple years where we've been like you know one o'clock like holy cow freaking dead calm
0: yeah i mean so then do they need to build more time after the digging for like a rest forced rest day maybe and then a forced morning or two of practice and then and then because it seems like sometimes athletes don't have enough bike time before the day from what i can see from the outside so maybe like a little bit more practice, safety time, yeah. And like force them to have a rest day, force them to have practice, and then they can maybe start early and get it done.
1: Yeah, that's already built in, you know, like okay. the rest day. Like I, that was back in my days when I was competing. We we worked hard on, on figuring out a good formula for like safety and enough time to get, you know, what you need done. And at the end of the day, it's like the more time you give, the more gnarly the build gets. Because like we're all like just wait, like, as athletes, we're like, more, 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 more. I want to do this. I want to do this and this and this and this. So you like, you give people time and like a guy like me, I'll dig right up to the freaking contest date. That's usually what ended up happening. But like, it's just the way it is. And, you know, maybe in terms of wind, I think you just got to start early. That's just straight up.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, we've, we've jumped straight into, it, which is awesome. Um,
1: what's it? <laughs> straight into the meat and the potatoes. No,
0: let's do it, man. No fluff around here. What's it like going back that you've spoken about the judging, but you've had a few years to sit back, maybe reflect on your career as well as like, okay, you still want to be there or you realize that chapter's closed now. What's it like going back to, to rampage? I've been back to world cups, but it's six years now. So I have a different view as three years ago, as I did the first year, I, I moved on. Um, um, that must be quite interesting if you could share like what that process is like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, like I said, I didn't want to retire from competing. I was forced due from a neck injury. Like I had a pocket of fluid in my spine that was um from an breaking my neck one of the times. and it just didn't allow me to take any more big risks and I ended up um, pulling out and now going back, it's, yeah, it's a trip, man. you know, you don't. It's a bittersweet thing, you know, like sometimes you're like, oh man, I like, we're adrenaline junkies, all of us, you know, whether you race or free rider, you know, we love the adrenaline, we're addicted to it. And, you know, just that feeling of at the bottom of the run and you just achieving a very large goal, whether you nailed it a hundred percent or you got 80% of it, it's a intoxicating feeling that we're all addicted to and like that right there is like the most definitely bittersweet part but then there's times where you know the guys are guinea pigging their lines and you know ragdolling eating eating crap and you're like yeah yeah definitely don't miss that part you know like the sleepless nights and, you know the night before the event are like yeah i'm pretty pretty glad i don't have to just go through that anymore so it's it's a bittersweet thing for sure
0: yeah no I, th- I think that comes with age and but but you mentioned you weren't ready to walk away even though you were I mean veteran for lack of a better term in the sport and had accomplished some insane goals and epic movie parts and producing your own movies and you were still gun ho is, is it do you think it's because it's all you knew or you just had this this hunger to still compete when you said you were forced to retire
1: yeah I'm a. Uh... Like I said, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love competition. Uh, I'm not like one of those, you know, I grew up BMX racing um, and like BMX dirt jump competitions like at a young age. And so, you know, doing a race twice a week for years on end and then the odd jump competition, I got very comfortable with, you know, those butterflies and those nerves such as you would would with being a racer all through your Grom years. And then you get up to your pro level and, and, you know, the race doesn't give you much nerves, the event, it's more of just the pressure you put on yourself because, okay, I want to nail that time. I want to nail that win. And that's the only pressure, but then that pressure itself is something that you really fall in love with and that achieving and getting that goal that you put on yourself and all of the other elements of adrenaline just add to that experience and you become addicted to it. And that's exactly what it was for me, you know, like with the slope style, you know, I realized it was, you know, the young guns were just killing it and I didn't have, you know, the longevity to just keep hitting the deck as hard as I was. And I decided to pull out at a good time. But then with rampage, you know, that's, that's like my favorite type of riding and I can still excel or could have still excelled in it and been, you know, top 10 rider. So I definitely would be, in all honesty, I'd still be riding it if I could.
0: <laughs> you reckon sir? <clears throat>
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Dude, that's quite sure. like, an yeah, yeah.
1: I'm, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm comfortable in that terrain and it's like, that's where I've spent a good portion of my career is. You know, going in far flung deserts and being in the in the mountains. So it's uh yeah, it's my it's my happy place.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say, dude, you whether you're on a boat fishing or in the woods, what hunting or building shit like, from someone that oh he's come from BMX, but you went into the the free ride side of it. It's not like the normal BMX side that I that I remember. You know, you just is that from where you grew up as a youngster, like. Is it just in your blood, this outdoorsman vibe?
1: Yeah, you know, like, you know, when I was a kid, I did like a little bit of snowmobiling and then like, you know, I love dirt biking. I got into moto racing before, you know, biking and then I couldn't afford it. So like going big and being out in the mountains was always a big influence of me, especially like, you know, growing up being a snowboarder and having this big mountain terrain and just being in awe of it. And then, you know, the, you know, the big the mountain bikes got good enough that you could actually go in the mountains in certain areas like Utah, you know, like Josh Bender kind of showed us all what could be done. And, you know, that was just like, it was like a big old carrot stick dangling. It was like, that's what I want to do with my life. (laughs) You know, I want to ride a bike and I want to ride bikes on mountains.
0: You want to huck off cliffs for a living. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For lack of a better term. Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Exactly what you did.
1: <laughs> it sounds funny listening to it, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: mean that, or spinning three sixties off thirty-foot wooden drops, fucking teeter-totting out of trees. I'll never forget that spin at Whistler. That I mean, that was a bigger thing back then. That puts you like, there's a certain few things that happen, and then you're like. Phew. I can only respect that. I did. I wouldn't want to get paid to do that. You know, that was one of. Were you like one of the early ones spinning those drops, the big drops in free ride, like free ride drops, not like smaller ones?
1: Yeah, there was. You know, once I started doing it a bit, some guys definitely started. Doing, oh, hey, what's up, Boots? That's
0: my cat. <laughs> if my you're on Boots. audio, there's a cute cat that's that's joining the potty. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, there was a couple guys that, that started catching on. Like Zinc, he was like the next guy I, I think that started spin drops and events and whatnot. Yeah,
0: but surely um, you were one of the first or the first. I mean you I, you I can hear you humble about it, but unless I'm forgetting someone, which I don't think I am.
1: No, that was like there was like Cowan and Timo, those guys were doing a lot of tricks um you know on dirt jumps and, and dabbling a little bit into the the big mountain stuff but then i was like like seth morrison was like a huge influence on me he's a pro skier that was like the first in skiing that took um you know tricks and went big and he went crazy big you know like seth morrison chronicles i think i wore that tape out of uh watching it so many times because he basically you know started doing backflips off like 90 foot cliffs and like cork and all sorts of stuff and i was just like that's what i want to do on a mountain bike i want to take my tricks that i know how to do um you know because i've spent years and years honing you know my bmx tricks and i'm like man i gotta figure out how to do this on my mountain bike and take it to the hills and that's uh that's pretty much what i did
0: Yeah, that's sick. I didn't know where the inspiration came from, but that makes so much sense, you know. Except they're often landing in powder, and you're not. Yeah, dirt. (laughs) Dirt Yeah,
1: Yeah, there's no more. You can't really just send an 80 foot cliff right to your back and just get up and cruise away. Well, Bender tried. He did. He did try many times, and a lot of times he walked away. He did, too. Did you get to know him at all?
0: I never, oh, yeah. met, I don't yeah, know if I, I met well. Bender. Well, yeah, I mean, that well. was, he's an interesting character, huh?
1: Very interesting character. Very colorful. Yeah,
0: like if you think about Rampage back in the day, and he, I mean, yeah, some of those videos would still go viral, but I mean, if social media was what oh, it was time. now, and like he was doing drop. some of
1: those drops. Yeah, like remember the jaw drop? The one that he just, it was so flat. It was like, so if anyone did not don't remember, it was like a solid 40 feet, like plum drop, downhill takeoff to like no gap out and then like flat. So like, just falling out it, the air, just whoop, 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 like Wiley Coyote style, <laughs> like f- physics wise, you know, like as a free rider, it's, it's always 50, 50 is like going to be your best trajectory in terms of. Um, greasiest landing. Do you guys actually think about this shit? Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's a science to this? (laughs) There's totally a science to it.
0: Okay, I'm listening.
1: (laughs) Funny that you don't know that. Um, I know a little bit of it, but
0: the way you said, like physics-wise, Bender's probably not going to make this. No shit. He's not going to make that work. I don't need physics for that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So like... For us, like trying to find the greasiest landing, you want to go out as much as you want to go down. That's just the general rule. And then you, if you go past this, like, you know, 70, 30, like 70% of your trajectory is your drop and 30 is out, your landing has to be really steep. And you go any less than that, it's got to be vertical. And then you go even less than that, which was Bender's, it's got to be almost vertical, but it was the opposite. It was like, you know, 15% slope. So it's like... Like you look and you're just like, how am I going to take this energy and go from here to there? But like, he almost held on to it, you know, to his defense. He was did you
0: Did you ever communicate the science of that drop to him?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't really know him at that point. You know, I just met him a couple times and I just, I'd seen the drop, you know, and pointed it out and like, looked at it. And I was just like. You know, that's why it was called the jaw drop, because you were like, what the heck?
0: <laughs> I think it's what the fuck.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You're allowed to say that on the podcast. I don't think we're going to get cancelled for that.
1: No. Nope. Hope not.
0: Dude, what... Yeah, um, for sure. How did the sport change from when you first got into it? I mean, you've had a little time now to reflect. I mean, you did almost two decades, mm. I guess.
1: Yeah, I got into the sport in 01. Uh, you know, heavily into yeah. the sport. You know, I, I rode mountain bikes all gr- growing up. And, you know, in my day as a young kid, I would go back and forth between mountain bikes and BMX. And I would get on my mountain bike and I would try to get rad and I'd break the wheels or bend the bars. And I'd be like, okay, I don't got enough money to fix this. So I'll just go my BMX. And, you know, the bike sucked back then. You know, you can remember back in the, in the nineties, like they just, they couldn't withstand nearly what like a fraction like a trail bike right now is like th- probably four times better than like the best dh bike back then. you know the brakes the suspension the materials everything so like seeing and going through that transition to like okay back in the early 2000s okay now we got some good suspension our brakes are really good you know bikes are getting a little lighter you know it's it was a lot of like the the technology that that spearheaded you know like the the jump in you know all the cool stuff that you've seen and like the race times getting faster and and you can't take away from like raw talent like palmer and you know some like the early guys that really pushed that and that technology to get faster and it was kind of like a symbiotic relationship in some ways but at the same time i would rely a lot of it on the technology to see some rad shit because you know remember v-breaks
0: i i do yeah. i don't know if half the listeners have ever heard of even the term Leland, the shitty things
1: <laughs> i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with like 70 percent of the listeners are probably like v what
0: oh we need some feedback on that one send send some questions or some feedback if you even know what a v-break is
1: yeah all right fans send let us know if you know what a v-break is yeah yeah those are the yeah those are the days
0: so, what the bikes like the bikes had to get better for you to like have any faith in mountain biking, even though you wanted to do it. You Absolutely, just kept yeah, going back to the BMX because at least it would stay in one piece.
1: Yeah, I would dibble and dabble and I would like go out and because and, you know, I was always building dirt jumps as a kid, I was a racer, but my, my real heart lied in creating something and I loved to dig and I was you know built for it. So I would always have my jumps somewhere around the neighborhood and a couple spots and I'd always bring the mountain bike and then I would like, you know, land flat and bars would go, Bleh! you know, and it'd be like, okay, well, you going to have to save up on the paper route. If we can get a new pair of bars, it's going to take eight months. So it's like, yeah, the, the technology wasn't there and, you know, and obviously I didn't have enough money to afford the best gear. So that also, you know, was a bit of a part of it too.
0: Did you do paper route? I did paper route as a kid.
1: I did it all. Paperwork, oh my god, the worst lawns. paying
0: job ever. At least I got semi-fit oh. doing it.
1: Yep, true, very true. And my worst job was uh, at a fish plant, cleaning fish.
0: I, I actually, I did a, you know, I do a bit of research here and there. Even though we know each other well, that sounds horrendous.
1: <laughs> It was awful. I had I some jobs. Like fish for like days afterwards,
0: dude. I mean, I was I was gonna say you you know you've done well for yourself out of hard work, sacrifice, and and, and. n. But uh, you came from pretty humble beginnings, gutting and cleaning fish for pocket money.
1: Well, that that was for uh, a plane ticket, like one of my first flights to the ABA Grands in oh, really? uh, Oklahoma. Yeah.
0: So it was just like a holiday job or a job in the interim to get a bit of cash for this plane um,
1: ticket? No, I always had like jobs off the side to like help pay for, you know, going to races and stuff. I think it was, I was 16 at that time. You know, summertime worked at the golf course and yeah, had lots of jobs.
0: <laughs> That's good. I mean, I, I think it's all shitty ones. I think it's great to hear. I don't know if, some of the kids these days, I mean, they showed talent early enough. They never even need a job to pay for bikes or get to races. Like, It's kind of changing, you know. We're investing in athletes a lot sooner than we were back then.
1: Absolutely. That's, uh, it's kind of daunting because, you know, growing up with the beginnings that we grew up with, you know, knowing how important that is to your development and character building, it's hard to see a kid that's like 13, 14, and now he's like, you know, getting hundred K contracts, getting thrown at them in, in some sports. And you're like, like, man, like, what does that, what does that do for the kid's psyche by the time he's 18? Is he going to be like unmotivated and like over it? Or is he going to be like super keen and hungry? Cause like, you know, fat dogs don't hunt. And if you've just given it, got given all this epicness at a young age, it's like, how do you stay motivated through your 20s and 30s to keep killing it, you know? No, I always dude. Ask myself I, that.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you're like someone like Tiger Woods where it's just really was bred into him and the money never was a motivating factor. You you get those, but I fear the same thing as you. Whether it be pushed too hard and training too early and then you're burnt out. Yeah. Or maybe I've handed many friends. handed it too early, too much too early and they're not understanding work and sacrifices act this secret ingredient because when you're a kid you're just riding, but you don't actually you're not aware that you're putting in the work hours and you know you've heard of 10,000 hour rule those sort of things like I don't think you're aware of that and then when you have your first bit of hard times and hard work's the only way to get out of it you don't know that because you've just been you know sort of gifted parts bonuses, money, all those sort of things. And then when the results dry up, you don't realize how to get back.
1: Yep. It's a scary, scary thing with the youngins. And, and you see it a lot in like board sports, you know, like young surfers, young skaters, you know, and in the ski industry too, our snowboard industry, you know, not as much in the mountain bike industry. I think our youngest phenom, um, as we all know, Jackson, you know, he came from a really young age and and he's absolutely destroying it. And he's got, you know, just as much, if not more motivation than a lot of the other athletes. So it's like, I don't know, it's tough. I think it's very um, circumstantial, like case to case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Jackson is a good example. Um, He's definitely the real deal and he seems motivated with the racing. So he has probably a competitive drive. Like he could have gone the free ride route or you know, movie parts and stuff. So that's interesting to see him focus on the racing. Something that comes to mind, and I just want to get my thoughts out because I don't want to be judged or think I'm judging. But, you know, someone like Kyle Strait has had an incredibly long career, and I think he's gone through phases of motivation. And, and 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 I don't blame him because he's been doing it for so long. And he was someone that had so much, you know, talent and potential and, and got the big contracts and won Rampage when he was a, a young teenager, right? Um, and, and he did the racing thing. And when he raced, like, he was on the podium as a junior. He had talent. He had so much talent, but that came from how hard he rode the bike as a youngster. And then you can yep. see, like, these dips and sort of valleys and troughs of his, of his career, but I think it's because it was so long. But that is, you know, he teetered on that thing of, like, so yep. much so early. You know what what is next for him
1: yeah well, he's had a, a interesting career and i would agree with that because you know back when we were athletes on specialized you know that was like in my opinion his laziest of days because he was relying on all the skills that he built up as a youngster because back then when he was a kid he wrote all day every day built up those skills and then he started getting like as a pro racer and he just wasn't getting the results and like i, I saw it in him he just he wasn't really motivated because he was kind of like, well, you know, I've been given so much and now do I need to really work for it? And he hasn't realized that like, you know, momentum is is a fickle thing and you need to keep that momentum. And as soon as you, you stall, the back end falls away pretty quick. And that was a couple big reality checks for him when he lost a couple big sponsors. And, you know, he went through some, he had to dig deep. You know and find his own motivation and and thankfully he he came back swinging and uh he's been killing it ever since so
0: yeah that's probably a good way to look at it and and i think it's that old saying like it's easy to get to the top but to stay there's you know the hard part difficult part and and for straight that definitely was that he he was so young he probably wasn't even aware that there's guys outworking him but he didn't even know that 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 was a thing he was just relying on riding talent and then in racing that's also the years when it you know sponsors dried up and people were hungry you know they're willing to risk it for a free pair of shoes sure. and he had some big contracts i i heard so you know like that 661 knee pad deal and and all these things that he earned don't get me wrong uh, but it was it's awesome to see him sort of resurrect his career and find his niche what he wants to focus on because mm-hmm. you know racing isn't for everything everyone or or whatever it may be
1: absolutely yeah it's good to see Yeah, because it all happened so fast for him. He was 15, like, you know, basically, you know, jumping in the Oakley truck. You know, like, parents are like, where are you going? We're like, we're we're taking him for three weeks. You know, we'll be back then. And, like, parents are like, uh, okay, bye, Kyle. Like, be safe. Sort of thing, you know? good
0: point. You were there, technically mentoring him.
1: Shit. I can't imagine being that young and, like, having, like, all of this, like, attention. Like, he just, like, he exploded. You know, it's like, like a that. kid, um, he
0: was like a kid actor, if you think about it. Yeah. Right? And then you've got like to that. like grow and then become an adult actor if that's what you wish to do or use your skill set. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah I've never exactly. thought about that. It must have been and that's why you say you can never judge someone unless you, you know, walk a day in their shoes. And I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I just saw what you saw. Like he had some issues there in the in the middle, and he came out, you know. With flying colors because he seems super happy now and and uh, yeah he is he's super and, and, and done some awesome stuff throughout his insanely long career actually very long yeah and um, you so speaking of sponsors and and stuff you you I saw the wording you use hanging up your Red Bull helmet mm-hmm. so. Is that a mutual thing? Is that this walking away from serious competition? Like, w- w- yeah, I don't think we've chatted about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. You know, it's funny how many people still say to me, it's like, oh, happy retirement. It's like, bub, 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 bub. like I'm not retiring from biking. I'm just retiring yeah. from competing. Yeah. You know, and then like hanging up my Red Bull helmet was another kind of like oh you really are retired i'm like no i'm not retiring like so for me that was just like um a way to to like you know step away from red bull you know on a a good footing you know i I tried to uh, use my words appropriately but still some people got it confused but um that one it was red bull has like a basically limit to types of athletes in every country. And in, in, in Canada, mountain biking, as we all know, is a really big focus for the brand mm. because mountain biking is so huge in Canada. And we have like, like, I think it was like five or six athletes, which is way more than like any other country has. I think the States might have similar, but um, so basically they said, we need to make some room. we got some young talent coming up. Um, like for instance, Jackson, he needed to have a helmet and, you know, I was taking up space in that roster, even though that I always thought that I would just be like a lifelong, you know, ambassador of the brand, but I guess they're, um, switching that program to basically just chopping it off and being like, okay, you're a friend of the family. Um, you know, you're not cut off from any events or anything like that and we can do stuff with you in the in the future but in terms of rocking a red bull helmet and getting the full support you know we just chop it off and make some room for the uh for the next generation which was jackson which i was uh pretty stoked to to see him you know take take a seat in the in the rebel ranks because he is uh, definitely deserving of it
0: yeah, I mean it's it's it is an interesting company and it it was it's brought up with Marcelo and 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 it's really helpful to have it and I know how they support and what they've done for the sport and action sports it's it's epic I think they've sort of been at the forefront of using that space in on a hat and helmet which is super smart and and they they were like back in the day I had an, an agent that was helping me not directly but you know he would sort of consult with me and 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 he brought it up and and I was too old at the time, even though South Africa didn't even have an athlete, because they you know they go and get athletes from different regions. But they are Mm -hmm. someone that historically was investing in that younger, younger generation that they see the potential. Absolutely. And and but then like you said, you expect it to be a lifer because once you get on and you and you reinvent yourself and you perform and 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 you you can sort of stay with the brand for, for a long time. But I think you did incredible things for them and and for the career and that that led to being inducted to the hall of fame right for mountain biking i mean mm-hmm. you couldn't have seen that when you were younger right
1: no that, i mean it's not even really it wasn't a thing it not exist does it
0: does it feel quite surreal like the, yeah, there's uh, only the select few things, that...
1: yeah it's one of those things where it's not something that's uh a reality or a possibility. Cause you know, let's be honest, the sport is really new. Um, it's not like baseball or hockey or, you know, hall of fame has been around for decades. So it's not something you grow up going, Oh man, I'd love to be in the hall of fame for mountain biking. And then when the guys were chatting about it, I was just like, uh, I don't, I don't really know if I deserve it. And then it's like, you know, and then they they explained to me, you know, the, the reasoning and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that'd, that'd be pretty cool if it did happen. And then it, then it did. And it was like, is pretty surreal. I'll Definitely wicked.
0: Uh, so, explain how the conversations start, or what they were, the <laughs> reasoning, and all that. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I know nothing about it.
1: Yeah, well, like, so there's a lot. There's lots of conversations like behind closed doors that goes on about the Hall of Fame and mountain biking, and the bottom line is, um, you know, if you if you came in and you changed the game, that is something that you should be recognized for because you came in you changed things you just didn't win a bunch of things it was like you changed the sport and that's where like i what i needed to hear to kind of really grasp the you know the concept of me being worthy and i was like you know i was like yeah yeah yeah." you know think back i was like i definitely did a bunch of things that weren't being done and definitely like my goal was when i was a kid watching seth morrison's chronicles of how he changed the game i was like that's what i wanted to do and then you know i use my skills and and i achieve you know a good portion of my goals and and that's the you know the reasoning behind it
0: where do they do it where's the, where's the headquarters or where do they do this thing
1: well it's in um Mount mountain Lake hall of fame is in marin county and uh in california just north of san fran and it's a really cool museum there's a bunch of like awesome people that dedicate a bunch of time to keeping it going and you know they do the induction just kind of like in a really small venue at the actual museum and it's all like uh broadcasted and they do a big induction ceremony and you know we have a bunch of drinks and have a little bit of a celebration after and it was uh it was really cool it was nice oh
0: that's wicked! you know
1: it wasn't it wasn't like a red carpet affair sort of thing but it was more more down to earth such as in my opinion that's how i see the mountain bike industry is very down to earth like welcoming type community so i think it was great that you know it really reflected that cuz you know mountain biking's not like your flashy red carpet you know type affair uh, i don't know maybe you might disagree but that's kind of how i see you know the bike industry is just you know awesome
0: no i i couldn't agree more i th- I, I think it's such a cool lifestyle uh, industry it's getting more corporate i mean the turnovers that i'm hearing of some of these companies and stuff but i think it's critical that we keep to some of the core values and and the people in the sport you know your kids can go and and it's a safe place if you become a mountain biker or you have mountain bike mates you know i i think uh, i think it speaks to what what you spoke of the hall of fame. What's some of the coolest stuff that you see down there? Like when you go down there.
1: Um, <laughs> definitely a lot of the old bikes, cause you know, they have like, like wraps around some, like the very first bikes that ever were created. And then you have a bunch of like all the legends bikes in, up on the thing. And they have a little picture, some descriptions. And then they have, um, you know, the previous inductees, a little bit of a story, you know, some guys were trail builders and they helped pave the way for this entire area, you know, and that's why they're in the hall of fame. And, and it's cool. And it's like, for me, one of the things that I said at first, I'm like, yeah, but I'm not retired. I'm like, why should I be in now? You know, back to the you know people thinking I'm retired conversation and, uh, You know, it was the fact that like what I'm being known, like thrown in there for, I am past that part of my life and I've moved on to being an adventure content athlete. So it did make sense. And I know I've heard from like racers and other athletes that are like, well, why am I not in the Hall of Fame? I've done this, this and this. And it's like, well, it wouldn't make much sense to put someone into the Hall of Fame if they're still in in their career once you kind of hang the hat up then it's like okay then it's time to, you know to be recognized that makes yeah, any I, sense
0: yeah no it does i guess yeah if you're still competing you've still got potential records to break and stuff like that i Absolutely. guess great like greg manas probably not in the hall of fame yet
1: right yeah and he he's been you know a topic of conversation because you know people are like well why is he not in there he's freaking look look what he's done it's it's Undisputable, yeah, but no, it's, it's like un- he's yeah. still smashing it. So,
0: yeah, he'll he'll be in there one day when he when he when he
1: decides. So,
0: we'll, yeah. we'll, who knows we'll when see. he's
1: gonna just decide to hang up the towel? Because uh, we all know that he could hang on to those bars a lot longer than we all think.
0: Yeah, he doesn't need the money, I guess. But if he had a dollar for every time he comes up on the podcast, then he'd be an even richer man. That's for <laughs> sure. <laughs>
1: Yeah, he is a legend.
0: Between him and Palmer, man, Palmer comes up like the the, the new school guys yep. listening. Keep doing your research on that man. Uh, I shared, Absolutely, some, te- I young shared bucks. some I shared some I shared some texts with him and man, it was like a surreal moment. And and I've and I've met the guy. We've we've hung out, but just to text him and shoot the shit about bikes it, it's pretty cool cuz that's a guy that fuck is he in the he's probably not in there. Is he in there? I think he is. And should be. I mean, if there's a guy that yeah, yeah. that changed the sport of Darnell, yeah. I think yeah. someone yeah, that single handedly changed like the look and feel and, and, and so many other things. Yeah, he better be mm-hmm. in there.
1: I'm pretty sure my memory's horrible, too many freaking brain dingers, but I think it was him <laughs> and Petey.
0: Oh, okay, maybe.
1: I know Cully
0: year. was Cully part of your Cully was in. Yeah,
1: Cully was in this year.
0: It was yeah. you, Rachel, and Cully. I think I don't know. Maybe I saw that yeah. article.
1: Yeah, there was a couple, a couple more on top of us, but yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to remember all because, like, so many people come to a conversation of like who is and isn't and should be. But uh, you know, we leave it up to those guys in the in the the committee to make those decisions and whatnot. But I think they're doing a great job, and it's a yeah, hard no. job too because because it's like you know, there's not a lot of funding for it. You know some bike companies kind of keep feeding things in and, and keeping things alive but uh yeah I think it's it's important to keep the history of the sport and keep that alive and you know re-educate all the the young groms on on why the technology and the sport has gone to where it is today so it's a it's it's good to keep the history flowing
0: yeah for sure man could you imagine in 10 years kids are not even understand that bikes would just break when you basically looked at looked at them let alone ride them down a hill man
1: yeah flat tires and all who knows what technology we're going to get with freaking all of the inserts and whatnot but you remember how many flats we used to get
0: dude i i just hate that that's still a thing i I mean i get a lot less like the tires and the casings and tubeless but it's still technically a thing like we've solved a lot of problems we have not solved that one entirely have we yeah
1: no we really haven't i'm sure there'll be a super light insert that'll take away a bunch of it but you never know
0: yeah no there's a lots of know. good ones we've got kush core here at the shop the boys have been using that but i mean it's they're not bomb proof like it's not it's not like a dropper post that changed how you can descend on the fly or suspension you know like we still have a tire connected to a rim And Mm -hmm. because of those aspects, you can, you can kind of get a flat.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Technology. Still got a few problems to solve, especially the derailleurs is another one of them. It's like, it's such a crazy thing is like, you look at a bike from like the early 1900s and you're like, man, nothing's changed (laughs) (laughs) with the derailleur and the drive system. It's like, like holy cow you know like a shimano derailleur from like the 80s or 90s and you look at one today you're like man minus the clutch nothing's really changed
0: <laughs> it's like got better <laughs> it's but the it's same paid design. to say
1: that's <laughs> exactly.
0: actually crazy yeah
1: yeah yeah i remember looking at one of the bikes being like what year was that and you look at another but you're like man the derailleurs have not changed much it's crazy
0: yeah, totally. And I mean, you're literally stranded. We had it the other day, like we went on this dealer ride and someone smashed a crank into a rock that bent. And then from there, they were like, we think the chain ring's bent. I'm like, yeah, we'll be fine. I offered to ride the bike back, <laughs> literally took one pedal stroke, <laughs> snapped the chain. And uh, my, bro- my brother had to tow me back, dude. And I was like,
1: what? Oh, fun.
0: And this is on an e-bike, right? So you're like, we've oh, solved. Wow. We've solved this whole issue. Like, we can get anyone out on the mountain and go for a long ass ride yeah. and, uh, and I still to push the to thing chain. back <laughs> down to a chain or a flat tire, right? Yeah. It's uh, so um, wild. Pretty wild. Well, but you've so you mentioned a few times I'm not retired. Everyone thinks I'm nope. retired. The bear claw I'm doesn't, her. the claw doesn't retire. You've heard it here, <laughs> talk to me, well, I, I, talk to me. What's the motivation? What are you up to?
1: Uh, right now I'm, I'm, basing my, I'm putting my hat on an adventure content guy. Like for instance, we just did this insane trip to Peru. Um, myself, Kenny Smith, um, Georgia Astell and Cammy Aguera, we all went um, to the Andes in Peru and did this insanely hard trip. It was six days and the whole goal was to do a sequel to a chasing the inca that i did years ago it was on Red Bull tv and yeah looking for this uh, lost incan road and we found it we were able to get really good weather and we summited the pass dropped down in and we did like another like five or six big passes so we would like we topped out at fifteen and a half thousand feet dropping down to valleys about six or 7,000 feet and kind of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was, uh, was one of those trips that was insanely hard, but gratifying. And that's the type of, you know, uh, content, um, that I'm, I'm chasing is just like the adventure style stuff. So, um, you know, still working for a couple of good brands and, and, uh, punching out content for, um, you know, various media outlets is kind of my, uh, it's my stick nowadays.
0: Your jam. And you're obviously taking a mm-hmm. filmer along, or are you self filming on like this crazy adventure trip like that one?
1: Uh, we do both. You know, we all got GoPros rolling. You know, I ride for uh, a drone company, Skydio. that like follows me. So I put it up. And and then we also have a uh, photographer and a filmer that's doing the whole thing. And then uh, bring all the content back and slap her together. And hopefully uh, we got a good story on our hands.
0: And you. I remember chatting to you and seeing in some of the videos, like you're out there with Google maps planning you like this adventure thing is seriously in your blood. So you do a lot of the planning and logistics of these trips as well. Like back in the day when you were doing that film you spoke about and, and even these things now you get pretty much hands on, huh?
1: Yeah, you kind of have to. It's uh, one of those things where like no one's going to, well, sometimes people, things fall in your lap, but a lot of times you got to go out there and search for your own adventure especially in the action sports space, there's, there's not a lot of new ideas. So you got to kind of think outside the box and try to find an angle. That's going to be a little bit different than just, Oh, we're just going out with some buddies and going ride some bike trips. You're like, okay, how many times has that been done? And how interesting is that to watch? So you want to find something sort of a unique angle and that kind of ties people in and gets people's interest up. So to be able to, you know it's insane how google earth has transformed yeah you know, adventure trips like i've literally looked on google earth and been like oh look at that ridge line you know and it looks like there's a sick drop right there oh like it looks like 30 feet maybe and then like a good run out and like literally i'll go to that country far-flung place and i'll go to that exact spot and i'll be like oh dude it totally lines up and it works and then we'll hit it and it's like i found that drop on google earth from my freaking computer in canada and i went to china and i and i wrote it it's like it blows my mind that you can do that so it's like that that's changed the game big time
0: yeah, that's going to be pretty gratifying, right? Just coming up with that mm-hmm. and like, I think it's going to work. And then you try to get the funding Funded. or you self-fund it to get out there, take the risk.
1: Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, all of the above. Like, uh, like for instance, our very first China trip, like I I got the funding for it. And actually, Todd Barber was with us because we were searching for – it's kind of like a 50-50 trip. We were searching for a new Rampage site. But at the same time, um, I convinced Westerland to, to send a filmer. And it was actually Jeremy Grant with the 16 mil bolex that came along it was that long ago (laughs) to our first china trip
0: dude what what's the craziest trip you've been on like film trip because you've you've been in from back in the day before it was a formalized film industry to now where it's pretty big budgets to get a film going these days
1: yeah, I've been on all sorts, Like for instance, my this trip that I did to Peru, it was it was really small budget. And then you know, like for instance, far end of the spectrum would be North of Nightfall, where we basically went to the North Pole and and brought a whole team. Um, that one was by far the gnarliest trip I've been what on. In the terms of the North Pole. Yeah, the North of Nightfall. A trip because it was just so intensive to get us and all our like, gear up there it was just so much logistics logistics it was just it was mind boggling how much it took to get it all done and wrapped and and at the same time it was still an experiment you know cuz like you put you know you, you can google earth as much as you want but the biggest deciding factor on whether it's going to be good or rideable at all is how soft the dirt is and sometimes we've gotten to places and be like, this is unrideable. You know, it looks insane and amazing, but it's just like dinner plates on dinner plates, like shale, and it's just, you can't slow down, you can't dig in, and you know, you get skunked. So like, even that trip was still a, like, a big gamble. And it's like, man. There was like, no
0: one on the ground there, like giving you feedback, has no one been there? Like what, how much intel did well, you have?
1: Well, we originally, mean Zinc, we went a year before and we scouted. And when I say scout, we like landed with this crazy twin otter plane and we got out, and we hiked around a couple spots and we deemed that there was some rideable terrain and it was like enough there that we still had to throw a gamble that we were we were confident that we could get some really good terrain out of it because like we didn't have you know the time or the means to really hike around to like all the spots but we just kind of picked one or two that was really close to where we could land and we actually got stuck in the plane once in mud that was a first for me and i was like i'll never forget saying to the pilot i was like because he's basically got this twin order prop plane and when he goes like this with the with the throttle, he's basically like spinning the props, like going forward and back, forward and back. And I asked him, was like, how much fuel you got? He's like, well, I got about three or four more gives with the throttle to try to get us out of here. And then we're done. I'm like, what do you mean done? He's like, well, we're gonna have to wait for someone to come pick us up. I'm like, wait a minute, you like calculate your fuel down to like that like minuscule amounts he's like yeah as bush pilots that's how we do it because you don't want to pack too much and obviously you don't want to pack too little and i was like holy cow okay well we better freaking you know start digging and so we got out there with the shovels and we got rocks and like put pads so that the the wheels could get up out of like the, because they weren't stunk in the mud like fully wedged in the mud and like and the x factor was, was like okay well how long is it going to take for someone to get here He's like, mm, well, two and a half days at best.
0: Did and you we, in the like, north we were, pole?
1: Yeah, we were in the middle of absolutely nowhere. It's freezing. And like we brought like, you know, a lunch for, you know, like a sandwich and a little bit of water and everything. So I'm like, man, this could be it's turned into a movie here pretty quick, just this experience if we don't get unstuck. And sure enough, we prepped it all and we ended up getting out and and uh yeah, saved the day and Touchdown back at the at the base with uh you know maybe a couple ounces of fuel left in the tank.
0: How how do you even get there? Where do you fly and shit to get to the North Pole?
1: Oh man, it's it's intense. Like we, you basically fly to the east coast of Canada, and then from there the planes get smaller and smaller and smaller, and then you're basically up into like the north where it's like like really north. And then, you know, it goes from, like, a little tiny airport with, like, you know, a, not even a building to, like, the next place where we landed, which uh, was a weather station. It was called Eureka, just off of Axel Heiberg Island. And it's the further furthest northern um, weather station on the planet. And, you know, sort of, like, because once you get up into, the uh, like, the polar circle, it's all pretty close, like, Greenland and Iceland. It's not very far, you know as the crow flies
0: no shit so you almost get stuck there but you say a year later yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was a uh, did clay was clay one of the filmers i think this was like the heavy heavy mm-hmm. production that red bull yeah. kicked up for huh yeah
1: yeah it was uh it was insane you know we had all the toys out there and you know we had some of the best guys we had the young guns like uh tom Van steenbergen and carson storch and then uh you know me and zinc bit of the veterans kind of showing the young guns the way
0: and um, um Looking back now, is there anything you would have changed in your career? I mean, I know you Um, seem like a no regrets kind of guy, but it's kind of a fascinating thought-provoking question because, you know. You know
1: what, It's an easy one for me, health. Like I'm 41 now and I heal faster than I did in my 20s.
0: Oh yeah, we have, we've spent some time. at the bar having beers yeah. talking about health <laughs>
1: yeah probably another one <laughs>
0: yeah i'll fix Sugar this tomorrow bombs, let's go i'll fix this tomorrow <laughs> with my incredible supplement and health regime
1: yeah absolutely like uh like for instance when i was 29 ish my body was falling apart and i was you know getting injured it was taking, it was taking forever to, to come back and heal and it just you know, I just felt like my body was just going downhill fast, and then I ended up starting training with um, a friend of mine, Gray Beal, in the gym here. He's been trying to get me in for years, and then finally, I was like, "Okay, let's get me in there." You know, I've been a pro athlete for almost ten years now, and I need to get serious with this because my body's falling apart. And it and it seems to happen with like a lot of guys in their like thirties, where you kind of have a shift of like, okay, things are changing. I need to smarten up here and really especially if you want to be active and have, you know, you put demands on your body. So I, I didn't know a thing about health to the point where I didn't even know what an alkaline diet is or what it does for your body. Like that's how uneducated I was on health. And the reason I say, why would I have changed with my career? Because if I would have known at like 18, you know, what foods to actually eat and how to eat and how to train, I would have been unstoppable throughout like my prime years and I wouldn't, have, my injuries would have lasted like half. I would have, you know, been, had the strength to not get injured as much and I just wouldn't have been able to, to crush it. Would have been, uh, would have been different for sure.
0: Yeah, there's a lot more like education coming out on health and nutrition. I think just for and the general, injuries, general yeah. public. Well, brain injuries. Yeah, that's a hot, hot ass tomic, topic. Topic, uh, but we didn't mm-hmm. know back then, did we? It was just be a tough, no. tough guy and and move on. Stop, yeah, stop you're crying about your body, it. You're and like, move on.
1: You're like, oh, you look okay. Yeah, you, let's go back up. Let's hit another run. You know, like. Let's hear so you, F- you, huh?
0: you guys <laughs> must have done some stupid ass shit looking back, eh? Ugh. I mean, it's just oh unfortunate. Goodness. I know we're joking about it, it's a serious topic, but especially the free ride yeah. scene and you guys progressing the sport and those you don't land those tricks first go, man. It it sometimes takes no. a couple tries. A couple lot of a tries. A lot,
1: lot of big head smacks in the in the past. And yeah, you just get back up. And and whether it's like you get back up that moment. And keep her going or you like ride tomorrow you know or now you would never after a big big head impact you would never ride the next day like just we know enough to know that you're gonna have to sit out for a couple weeks at the very minimum with a good head injury you know where it's like you know we have a big crash you know break your helmet get a new helmet next day out there you're giving her again and it's sad because you know it's uh like our brains are such a fickle thing and you, and you can't mess around with brains and you know the in 20 years we're going to know so much more and it, and the more we know the more scarier it is it, i don't know how you feel but me it's like every time i read a new article on a study it's like whew, you know like that's not good and, that, and i'm like that's why my memory's so shit. and uh i actually took um Took quite a few months and did this therapy called lens neural feedback therapy. Um, it was a shrink in Whistler that did this uh, this type of therapy. Have you heard of it?
0: No, no, no. Tell me. I mean, okay, I like, so- you are, I think about this shit all the time. I don't know what the next five ten years looks like. I felt like mm-hmm. I was somewhat smart, but you know, then again, we had less education back then for sure.
1: True, true. So, Lens for Neurofeedback Therapy is basically working on head injuries and they basically take your head and they hook up with a bunch of microelectrodes and do like micro stim pulse to like map your brain. Basically, you know when you do like a muscle stim, when you like come out of a cast and they set up these little electrodes and they make your muscles jump. Uh, it's like this, but very, very minuscule amounts. And so, they can map your brain and see what's responding in terms of certain areas. And for me, I think, I think I was like 40 something sites um, that were not responding and you know I was like, okay so what does that mean is that good is it bad So I'm like am I smart dumb what, what am I, what are we dealing with here So he said that like you know a normal like adult that's had a little bit of like you know injuries and whatnot would be around 15 so it's it's, it's pretty high so i was like okay let's uh, make a plan and see what we can do to address this and and, and fix this and so over the months i went in and, and did this therapy and and we got the sites down to like 20 and he was really happy with the progress and and so was i and i definitely felt um you know the difference and it, and it made a change and that you know was obviously from a, a lifelong career of, of hitting my head and, and having those, those types of injuries. But the, the craziest thing that I learned from that was you take two brains, one brain, an emotionally abused child, never been concussed, now they're 30 years old. You take a hockey player kid, been in fights, lots of concussions, 30 year old brain. Those brains look the same fuck off, that really? to me yes that to me was the biggest like okay how and, how, and he explained he explain to me like, yeah. like the emotional trauma stunts the brain in the similar fashion that a concussion and and i still have troubles understanding that that ends the same result because you know you beat something up you're like okay yeah this is gonna be affect it but you have emotional trauma it it doesn't really compute with me but it, it like you explained it to me so you know i have to believe them and and you know i've read other studies and, and papers that 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 have the same findings and it's it's pretty fascinating and you know it just makes so much more sense on like you know like the bullying and just you know you know kids especially younger adolescents you know not going through gnarly stuff and and really you know, taking a different approach because, you know, I have a six-year-old child too. So it's like, it, it makes it more real in terms of, you know, your upbringing and how important it is that they have a nice safe place to, you know, grow up in and not have emotional trauma, especially in the younger years.
0: Well, I mean, that, that I understood a lot on is, you know, you sort of before you're the age of four or five, or whatever the number is, you've developed and sometimes you've developed to the point that these are things that you will have trauma in later in life. And, and I thought that was emotionally, but maybe there's a scientific sort of connection with the brain and how it develops and thus you can't deal with stuff in the future. And I'm not a doctor. I'm just sort of regurgitating what you have saying, but I know that how important like your upbringing is and, and even nonverbal stuff when you're a kid like that I've read into a lot of that science but how crazy is that it actually physically affects the brain and then stunts your growth for for a long time of your life that's fucking nuts
1: so nuts like it, it yeah it's like it's crazy because you know kids are hard to you know to raise and whatnot and you know everyone gets frustrated with their kids and like and knowing that it's just like kick yeah. Don't yell at your kid. <laughs> like, raise your voice. You know, it's it's that much more important to me when you when you know yeah. that. Yeah.
0: No, that's so wild. so scary. But I mean the the concussion topic comes up a lot. And like you said, there's more and more knowledge and it and it is scary, but you've you've got to face it, right? And um, but there's so many things, and I think, you know, as an as an athlete or someone that goes through hard times, I think that that without being a doctor, I think that's really good for you. I think being able to get up again and, and not hit your head and get up and go again, but fail, yeah. fail again, fail. There's, you learn how to adapt. You learn to learn new things. Okay, I even in cycling or, okay, I tried the Barsman and it didn't work this way. And I think if you sit with it, your brain figures out a way. And, and when you get older, I think there are ways to, even if you go and do these tests, I think there's ways um, – To sort of use your brain in another way, and and get better, and and help with memory, like you say, oh my memory shit. Well, I think you know there's factually ways. If you learn a new task at in an elder age, so not Mm -hmm. not do a difficult task that you know how to do. Go and learn a new skill. You are forcing your brain to make new sort of pathways. And through that, mm-hmm. you can help with longevity of the brain and memory and, and all these things. And and a, and socially is key, so having friends, having a good time, sleep, and what you said, diet, and then losing a new, yep. and learning a new skill. Those four things together, I, you know, I've done a lot of research on Alzheimer's and, and, and the concussion and stuff breathing. like
1: that.
0: Nose breathing. it's good or bad? Yeah.
1: Good. It's amazing.
0: Well, then I'm screwed, yeah, I- dude. I mouth breathe way too much. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just finished a really good book. Um, it's called Breathe, and he's. I think I've heard of it. About yeah, the, yeah, I like, highly good. recommend digging into that one. Oh, it's amazing because, like, you know, it's so hard to like shift to from you know, especially when I'm training. Like, for instance, I was at fifteen thousand feet trying to nose breathe, like. Trying to get as much oxygen I could, and it was just, it was really a struggle. So it, it takes a lot of practice to get to that stage where you need to be. And just all the data and the research behind nose breathing and what it can do for your sport, mental, like fighting sickness, all the above. It's I highly recommend it. I won't go too no no.
0: It. I'm definitely gonna make make note of it. And with this therapy, is this? Are you doing anything? Are you are you just sitting there? And and he's got the machine on you that's stimulating blood flow and, and and, and stuff? Or you know, how does it work? Or how did he explain it?
1: There's several different types of ways to do it. Some some of it uses the electrodes on your head and you use visual stimulation with like a screen and some dots and some weird stuff going on. But for my therapy, we just use the uh, the muscle stim. So I just basically sat there and, and hooked up for 45 minutes and, and, you know, just let it rip. It's pretty wild.
0: And are you going to go back, or are you are you at a are you both at like a comfortable level that you say, look, we've got you to a good a normal level, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, like I walked away being happy that like you know I got to a certain place within my therapy that I felt good, and yeah, it definitely helped in, in, in many ways. And and uh, you know, there's a lot of us that need it. Um, different therapies out there, and you know, I've even heard of like some some downhill racers that you know, top level racers that, you know, do like your simple, you know, arms out test, palms up, you know, close your eyes, go like this. And, and, and they can't stand because of concussions and it's like, there's a lot of us out there that need some love in terms of, you know, fixing some previous injuries.
0: Oh, for sure. I went back after a concussion riddled season or one big one actually in Whistler. Mm-hmm. And then I sat out, consulted doctors, and and w- sat out another race because I I just had some symptoms, and then I raced the last one, and uh, I went back for an issue on my ankle, and, and this doctor was uh, quite holistic. I think he practiced, you know, he was a Cairo and, and some other stuff. He's very holistic, and he did he did some vision tests with me because I mentioned the crash, and and he fixed the ankle, and he said, what else? I said, oh well no, I just came back from concussion and he did this test and, and I, and then he, he did a few things and release in the neck. Um, and then I could quickly see that my eyesight was affected negatively before mm-hmm. then positively afterwards. And if I hadn't gone to him, I might not have even got the adjustment in my neck, which released something which, which helped with like lingering things. So um, yeah, blood dude, yeah, blood flow. And I mean, whether it's, us at a professional level, people listening, I mean, we all hit the deck or even sitting mm-hmm. in a desk for too long. Like you need to go oh. get looked at, you need to get adjusted, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of, uh, lots of good studies and lots of good people out there that are willing to help. And, uh, you got to take the first step with health. That's one thing. Like a lot of people are like, oh, how do I do this? And this and that it's like, the first step is yours. You need to take that first step. And I can tell you anything I want. You can listen to anything you want. But until you physically take that step and move forward, ain't going nowhere.
0: But do you think sometimes you need this sort of event in your life or a wake-up slap in the face?
1: You know, unfortunately, for a lot of us, yes. Like (laughs) including you and I. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, like you know, I wouldn't have probably if things just went along. I wouldn't have stepped into this whole different health, holistic world. Um, you know, my body's falling apart. My career wouldn't be, I wouldn't be here riding mountain bike still if I didn't go down that road. So it, It's literally cut and dry.
0: Yeah, so sometimes, unfortunately, it's like an event happening to you or around you. Timo, you, you mentioned Timo. He went through yep. a similar thing, man. He had to go on a yep. journey. He's
1: um, a yoga master now.
0: Yeah, and he had to go on this journey because they were forcing pills down his throat and threatening operations, and he said, no ways, There's got to be another way, and, and there is another way. Just because the mainstream media is punting pills and, and that easy fix, there's, um, there's this funny meme, and there's two counters, and the one on the left is a pill, and there's a long queue, and the one on the right is lifestyle change. And there's no cue. Everyone just wants, everyone just wants the. give me the quick fix, you know, give me the easy quick fix.
1: I just watched a docu on Xanax last night. Um, yeah, exact same thing. It's like, give me the pill. Okay. No, the only pills I take are made from plants. Lots of plants.
0: But it's just unfortunate. It's just the way the world's going. It's the easy fix and it's the, you don't feel good, try this pill. Oh, we didn't get it quite right, tell this. But like, where's the root cause, you know? And I'm not saying people don't have uh, genetic issues or, or whatever. Um, but, you know, there's. I think there's always another way to look at things. There's always, hopefully, an holistic way, you know, uh, be that through health, be that through exercise, like basic things. Exercise,
1: you know? key. You know we're so biased because we're just naturally active people you know like yourself and myself and many other mountain bikers that love the sport like we just need the adrenaline we need our blood flow and you know what's crazy on on that topic is you know i've it's no stranger that i've dealt with a lot of loss in my life and after Jordy passed um i was seeing this um, this woman for this therapy called edmr thera- therapy And essentially what that therapy is, is she brings you back to whatever traumatic event that you're in there to help solve. And for me, it was, you know, losing my friend, Jordy. And she takes you back to that moment. She takes an object. She goes, okay, I'll focus on this object for 30 seconds. Let your mind wander wherever it needs to go. Goes back and forth. You focus your eyes on it. Your eyes are going back and forth. You're thinking about whatever it is you're thinking. And then she says, okay, where'd your mind go? And for me a lot of times my mom would be like squirrel what over here she's like okay come on back come on get back to this butt and then she'd bring me back into it and i know like okay now i'm i'm digging in i'm churning through my emotions my mind's my eyes going like this i'm working on my emotions and she described to me is that what that's physically doing is bringing all these emotions to the surface you're focusing on them, you're letting your body experience those same feelings, whether you're sweaty palms, you know, height of uh, heart rate, all the above, and you're churning through those emotions because they're at the surface and the eyes going back and forth helps the body and mind essentially churn up those emotions and break them down into smaller pieces so that you can absorb and, and deal with them. And that's what the therapy is essentially for. And when I first came in, when I told her that I needed to always just go ride my bike, when shit hit the fan, I just needed to get out and ride my bike. And I've always known that as a human being, that when I'm feeling you know, harsh and down, I just need to ride my bike. And she's like, aha, I'm gonna get to this in, in a minute. And then she later on explained to me, the reason that you are drawn to just go ride your bike and you know this is because what I'm doing here is very similar to what you're doing when you're riding your bike. You're out there, your emotions are there, they're at the top of your mind, and you're riding down the trail and your eyes are going like this, reading the trail. It's very similar to what she's doing in the EDMR therapy. So bikes are good for you, so get out and ride your bike.
0: (laughs) There you have it, put a bow in it um fuck, that's <laughs> right? fascinating no because it is a form of meditation um whether it's linked to that or not i think that's a little different but also when you're riding um fast or you know you can't think about other stresses you can't think about the emails if you're doing riding and mountain biking properly in nature number one mm-hmm. blood flowing number two but also doing it properly, pushing yourself. If I could push myself to my uncomfortable level, I am not mm-hmm. thinking about a tax return. I'm not thinking about <laughs> my next question in a podcast or who's going to be the next guest. Um, so there's a form but of meditation to it, don't you think?
1: I totally agree with you. And I, and I, I find it. there's two types of um, mentality when you're out riding. There's one when you are in the zone, and you're pushing yourself at your limit, and you're right, your tunnel vision. Yeah. And you you just, it's this because anything comes in, you're pink, you're off the bike. And I still think that, like, when there's serious trauma and emotions going on, like, like a recent death, and you get into that state, I still think you're churning through the emotions because they're there. It's, it's, it's not like a, a conscious thought, it's like a feeling of just loss and grief. But, and then, it, you focus your your attention to the task at hand, but you're still grinding through the motions. And then there's that casual trail ride. That's when you're climbing up the trail, you're you're just cruising. You're not like at your 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 race speed or even close to your race speed. And that's when you can let, and now that I know this, I do let those emotions into my mind and come to the forefront because I know that it's really good for me to like not just look at the mountains and see how pretty things are to like really think about my emotions and grind through them while I'm, you know, just cruising.
0: Yeah. But the way you describe that, I'm thinking, yeah, you could ride fast the first type of riding, but I think there's a blockage. I don't think you'll ride to your potential. I think there's a blockage. I don't know. You have to be, I mean, that's when you suppress your emotions, you could probably carry on the race season get the results, block it out. Um, but I think if you don't address it, you're going to have some sort of blow up at the end of the season or after the ride, because it's sitting there. Right. And like you said, if mm-hmm. you give yourself the space to think about it on a ride or, or go to therapy, which I think is incredibly healthy, whether you are going through difficult times or not, uh, I couldn't speak high enough about uh, therapy. If you find someone that, that works for you, um, yeah, I just think you'd have a blockage. You know, I spoke yeah, I spoke to Danny mm. at Worlds. He was going through some stuff. And I was like, dude, you gotta be easy. You just gotta go easy on yourself. Like you fighting through the trauma you've been going through on a personal level, it's very hard to perform at your utmost best. Whether you think you blocked it out or not, I just don't think it's as easy if you've gone through some serious trauma.
1: Yeah, I think I agree with you on that. Unless
0: you like use it for some serious motivation and drive, you know, but I don't know.
1: Yeah. I don't think you will be able to achieve your best. And I agree with you there, but I still think that if you're out riding and giving her your all, and there's that tr- grief and trauma, I still think it's doing some good of like, it's, it's helping you churn through some emotions and get the endorphins up and, and, and be able to, to get further along in your therapy in amongst yourself versus, you know, I think, you know, the trail riding is going to do more good just because my experience and and just going through my journeys that I've been through emotionally. Um, but I agree with you on the fact that, you know, if you, if you have some serious trauma and, and grief that you're dealing on it on the forefront of your mind all day, every day, you're not going to be able to perform like your best. There's no way.
0: Yeah, that's why it's like there's so much more to performance than than, than on the day. There's so much in the background, which fascinates me, you know. But I mean, you you, you you brought up Geordie. What an incredible character, and he, he was a dear friend to you. And um, mm. what what prompted you to go for uh to go and get counselling? W- were things were you sort of things coming to light in your everyday life? Did you have a a wake up call? Did someone say, Hey, I think you need to deal with this. You're not dealing with life.
1: Um, for me, I've always looked at therapy as an oil change. And, you know, I started seeing therapists like, you know, for sports and just, you know, trying to get an upper hand and upper edge on, you know, my mindset. And ever since I've always just, you know, like to go to therapy and you know sometimes it's nice to just you know bounce some ideas off someone's head and and unfortunately i've gone through a ton of trauma lost a lot of friends throughout my years and family members and whatnot so it's uh it's it's something that i don't look down upon at all and like yourself i I think it's very healthy and a buddy of mine i had not heard of edmr therapy he was actually a you know like a, a backcountry mountain rescue guy so whenever he goes and does like a gnarly like you know a lot of times it's a body rescue he'll be traumatized and he's like man you know i i do this twice a year sometimes when i've had a bunch of you know gnarly experiences and i just i just do this on the on the regular it's just part of my program and i'm like you hmm, that sounds pretty cool i'll give it a try so i did and i started going and uh and yeah i definitely definitely think it definitely helps because it's after you've gone through so many traumas you kind of you understand the process so you like from the outside you know people will look at you and be like oh wow you're, you're you know you're, you're dealing with this pretty well and you know for me it's like you know i've i've dealt with it so many times i understand that you know day one it's going to feel like this day two it's going to feel like this you know month three it's going to feel like this month six it's going to feel like this so it's 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 unfortunately that i've been through the process and i understand it which helps helps you get through it i think quicker to be honest
0: and how do you look back on 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 knowing someone like like geordie so i I lost my dad and i try and look at it with gratitude obviously there's milestones i would have Mm -hmm. loved him to still be here but i have gratitude that i spent 32 years i think yeah i was 32 maybe and I'm thank luckily I got thirty two years. Some people have lost parents younger, so I'm no special snowflake. Yeah. But I look at the lessons he taught me and and try sort of make him proud now. And and someone like Geordie seemed to live life like to the utmost fullest, you know? Is that something that still yeah. sits with you to
1: this day? absolutely you know just his character rubs off rubbed off on everyone you know yeah he's a happy fun loving and and i'm pretty sure most people will remember most by his cackle you know that uh that awesome laugh that he had so it was uh yeah it was awesome being able to you know grow up with the kid and spend all the times and you know like a lot of the places i ride and dig and you know it's, it's where we grew up you know like you grew up not far from here like two kilometers as the stone throws from where i live so a lot of the places that you know we ride and all the trails that we built together you know it's you know in me you know he lives on every day because a lot of the things that i do he's you know he had um an influence on me and i had influence on him and you know it was uh you know it was really cool growing up in a small town with you know nothing but friends with bikes so it was pretty special
0: Do you find with loss and and when when you're grieving, some people are um, sort of too scared to speak about the elephant in the room, even though that's often what you're happy to speak about or it helps? Because I know it helps, right? But some people might Mm -hmm. not want to bring up a tough topic like that, certainly in the beginning, worried to bring sadness in the room or whatever it may be, you know? But maybe someone like you has been through it so often, you know, it's actually better when they just ask. It's I want to talk about it. I want to relive some of these things.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's a personal thing, and, and everyone handles it differently. And you know, me, I've I believe in bringing those feelings to the surface more often than pushing them down. So I'm I'm never really afraid to bring up someone's memory or 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 laugh at something that person did or mention it. You know, and 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 everyone. You know, say if you have like five friends that we're all friends with in this instance, Jordy, if you bring up a couple memories, sitting down, having some beers, every single person will have a different demeanor and mood. And because like some guys will be like, man, I haven't really talked about Jordy at all, you know, like to mm-hmm. anyone. And, you know, like for instance, I, I have some friends that that are friends of lost individuals that are like, you know, you bring up that person's name and they're just like burp deer in the headlights and you're like, man, you got to deal with this. You know, so it's, you know, like yourself, I believe, you know, bringing up the conversation is better than and shoving it down because, A, you get to relive, you know, that person's memories and bring it up and remember it because it's, you know, great memories. It sucks that the person individual is gone, but there's no reason that you shouldn't be, you know, celebrating all those fun times that you had with that person.
0: Yeah, I mean it is tough. Each everyone's different, right? They deal with grief a little bit differently. So I guess you have got to read the room and stuff. But I think people's default mm-hmm. is to not talk about it or bring it up and and uh, yeah, reading a bit of you know literature on it it's almost mostly the opposite that people are maybe wanting to speak about it or more open than you think. Or at least check in with them. Would you like to speak about mm-hmm. it, you know? And we're getting getting deep and uh, deep out here, but I mean you know, it's, it's part of life. I mean, it's, it's unfortunately losses is, loss is, is life. And, and we we were in a sport that is a dangerous sport, whether it's a freak accident or not, the late Stevie and, and Geordie, I, I just think their legacy should live on through, through the stories.
1: Absolutely. You know, they were, they were both such charismatic characters that, you know, everyone has an amazing story with those individuals and, you know to to not talk about it i think would be a shame really
0: yeah fucking hell the stories i have with stevie and and jordy but you're <laughs> right like it's often the most charismatic ones you know often taken a little bit Man. too early if you ask me yeah. but that, that gives us joy just even saying their names out loud
1: absolutely yeah it's pretty crazy that you know there's been such a big gap with like legends you know, in our sport being lost and, you know, and having two monumental legends in our sport being lost in such a short period of time. You know, like when, when was the last, you know, in career individual that we lost in mountain biking? Like before Stevie.
0: I don't want to comment if I just have insensitively not brought someone up, I should, but in downhill, She's at the height of height of their career and that young, and then another Canadian, Geordie, still active in the freeride side. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I, know. I can't. I, I, can't I, even I think. say it with as sensitive as I can be, and someone can can let me know.
1: Yeah, huh. maybe we're just drawing a blank here, but like I can't remember. Well, we have
0: hit our heads, so we have that excuse.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm going to that excuse.
0: <laughs> you still you're only running but, at 80 percent capacity I, you heard it here
1: <laughs> yeah so back to my point you know like that's you know go for, for like such a long period where you know people get hurt but we hadn't lost anyone in the industry you know and that's active and in the like the media's eye present you know in so many years than having two guys like that go down it's uh a, it's a pretty hard hit
0: Yes. oh I yeah I won't won't forget it and hurry it was a pretty surreal moment mm-hmm. hearing hearing the news but trail building for you is something you've always done right so it's kind of fitting because you you're sort of doing a lot more of that now and under uh, the Geordie Lynn parks or what whatever you guys are calling it to honor him
1: yeah well like um you know me and Geordie we grew up digging you know his his old man and an excavator Brian and then I've always had machines and we were always digging building stuff and probably about eight years ago eight or nine years ago you know Jordy was in a bit of a lull in his career and um, he wasn't quite as motivated as he got when he started doing the rough as fuck series and I said to him I was like man you know what like you got a couple holes in your schedule let's just put a let's make a bike comp build bike park building company and then you can run my machines, you know, we'll just, you just keep you, keep you rolling. And, you know, like it, it'll, you know, it'd be eventually be something that you and I do later on in our careers. Cause we both knew that that's, that's going to be available for us. Cause as a builder, um, those are skills that are very needed in the industry. And, you know, you just can't have enough guys out there nowadays, it seems. So we started the company, we did a couple of little projects, a couple of gigs here and there. And, um, and then we kind of like, kind of, slacked off on it a little bit, just cause he um, was getting super motivated with the rough as fuck series. And you know, his career was starting to have like a serious surge again. So he was super keen and motivated. So we kind of backed off of it as my career was, you know, pretty steady at the same time. We didn't have a lot of time for this. And then unfortunately when Jordy passed, um, I was thinking of just folding the, the, the corporation. And then Bonnie, his mom was like, you know what? Um, we want you to build this park through the corp name and you know i was like are you sure and she's like yeah i i would be really happy and use and i said to her i was like you know as would i i just didn't know because you know you're you're in charge of all the finances and stuff now so we ended up uh pushing through with it and ever since i've been uh pretty full tilt on building you know trails and bike parks and it uh it kind of like push me a little bit more to, you know, to get some employees, get a few more machines and, uh, you know, get going on that side of things. And, uh, yeah, it's been good. You know, I, I you know, I, I, love building, so it's easy. And
0: you've kept, kept the name right after chatting yep. to the family and that. Yeah. That's, yep. that would keep Parks. you, that would keep you motivated. I think that's really cool that you're able to do that. I guess you can't slack off. You got the name there and he wouldn't want that, would he?
1: Nope. Definitely wouldn't.
0: So is that, like, what, what are you spending most of your time doing? Like, are you splitting it with um, riding and that, or how does it, how do you plan your days and months?
1: Yeah, well, like the off season, I always try to do some big, um, you know, warm trips, warm weather trips. And then in the summertime, uh, it all depends. You know, sometimes I have, you know, quite a bit of a workload with building trail. And then sometimes I have like a good crew comes in and, and kind of relieves me. And then I can kind of just manage everything. And, and that's where... You know, I like to do like a split. You know, a couple of days a week on the machines, and then you know, go out and ride and film. Head to Whistler for the weekend or something for four or five days, and then come back and then relieve them. So it's a it's kind of a split for sure. But um, you know, I could definitely see myself getting a few more employees and and going a little bit bigger with it, just because there's there's a lot of demand for trails. A lot of the municipalities are finally waking up and seeing you know the ROI. With mountain bikes and what it can do for tourism and the community and health and all that stuff, so it's it's really cool to see. How's it in uh, your neck of the woods for that?
0: Yeah, it's insane. It's actually just crazy to see. From one of the few kids that rode at high school that everyone thought I was a BMXer or something to now, it's it's mountain biking is a is a school sport. There are literally. <laughs> all it's my, so weird. Like it's just weird, and you know. I helped with this bike park behind the shop Um, and then there's another one in our hometown. There's a club. I mean, we mountain biking, it's like every second private wine farm wants trails to bring mountain bikers to the wineries. Uh, And then there's an awesome guy that's done very well for himself. That's a former banker and he's got a big piece of land and he decides he wants a full-time trail builder and he allows us to ride like trail riding and, 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 trail building is a full-time career here. I know multiple people and that's their career just in my region at home. Some incredible Man, so world-class amazing. trail builders. Yeah, it's it's actually nuts. I mean, I did it for a little bit and then I realized I was too busy with other stuff and it wasn't maybe a full passion or at least at this time in my life. But I was doing it at a stage and I was like, yeah, I, I get this. You're out in nature, you're using your hands, you're being creative, it's hard work, and then you build these awesome things for people to ride. Like, it's pretty fulfilling.
1: It's, it's therapy in itself, the actual act of trail building. And then, like you say, you, know, you get to see the the joy it brings to yourself and everyone else. It's It's, it's very gratifying.
0: Yeah, man, we did this Scott dealer event, and one of the days was out on a private farm. Incredible people. They've got a um, back in Germany. They've got a lot of um, bike shops, and and um, they spend a lot of the the winter here um, and uh, private land. Full on trail center that links to another farm that has a trail center that links to more kilometers that I don't even know what to do with. And you know, it's more amazing. Xy Trail. It's not as it's not as gravity fed as Canada would be. But mm-hmm. you know, that side's catching on. 120 mil bikes. And then some of them nice. get the one fifty mil bikes and but like mm-hmm. the sheer amount of kilometers in this country and my region is insane.
1: That's amazing. It's good to hear. I and mean, it's like it's crazy to like Think back to when we were kids, always getting in trouble and still getting in trouble for building stuff. And then now, yeah, but you now know, you get
0: paid to build.
1: Yeah. Like I'm in the bush with an excavator, you know, smashing through the forest and I'm just like, you know, looking around my shoulder, I was like, oh no, wait, I'm supposed to be doing this, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, you know, let's be honest, mountain bike industry is based and built on rogue trail building that's what our industry has been based on, you know, like getting permission to, to build the trail. Like if you, if you got permission, there would be no trails because it just would take 10 years sometimes to get the permission to build the trail. And then when there's a trail network already there, they're like, Oh, okay. There's a trail over here. Sweet.
0: Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you wouldn't get permission to build some of that shit you were riding in the North shore. Like, you know, when free riding started in Canada, Thank goodness you didn't ask for permission. I don't even know how you guys kept some of that. I mean, it's just such an accident uh, waiting to happen.
1: Yeah, it's definitely. And and on that note, um, uh, I'll I'll shamelessly plug in my little side hustle business that I started um, making trail signs. Like the business is called Trail Signs. And this was another side project that me and Jordy were working on too. Um, We were going to kind of bring it in and all that. The business stuff. But the the whole idea is um, signs that people can buy cheap little plastic or aluminum signs. They can hang on trails. Because like even myself, like this spring, you know, I broke my neck on a trail that I been told by the local builders, the boys, they're like, hey, they've been working on some stuff, you should check it out. And then I just went and dropped in, assuming that it was going to be okay without looking at it. Where you know as had there been a sign hey warning feature has been changed maybe it would have made me stop and get off my bike and then you know i've had other friends you know that, that have been seriously injured and i know there's dozens of stories where they didn't know there was a drop coming up or they didn't know it was a gap so just the 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 mere fact of like hanging up a sign hey a gap jump ahead i think it could save a lot of people from some serious injury and harm. So I've just been working on that little side hustle business.
0: Well, that's great, man, because, you know, that is how we grew up riding and, and sort of trail education here, maybe less of that. There's more guys that think they're entitled to ride these professionally built trails on private land and not pay a cent. Cause we have a lot of, you normally need to buy a day pass or a year pass. And it's become very formalized. And it, and it's from what I can hear ahead of Canada, unless you go to a Whistler where you buy your, your ticket. But, uh, I think that's incredible claw. Like that's a great initiative to, to get out there because there's a lot of rogue riding or trails that get changed rogue and building. people don't really think Yeah, rogue building, huh?
1: Yeah. And, that, and the one thing that like, I find a hard time because on one hand, it kind of irks me that there's a lot of unsafe stuff being built, but then at the same time. I was that guy before, and you can't, like, you can't turn that person negative on building because you want them to be stoked on building. So I, I, think that the happy medium between, um, you know, maybe an unsafe trail and you know a professionally built trail can be hang up a sign so people can actually at least, hey, there's something coming up, let me go check it out versus assume which is what's gotten me and many others so many times is that the trail builder knows what he's doing. So the trail speed should be fun. I hit this one jump, okay, the next jump shouldn't be a pedal. It shouldn't be a break. It should just be a cruise into it. And then all of a sudden you get in the middle of the air and you're like, holy shit, I'm not even close to making this. I should have taken six pedals. You know, that is someone that doesn't know how to build a trail, but if you hang a sign, hey, check things out, do this, do that. I, I think it's it's kind of in the middle of the conversation and the issue at hand. I don't, think, I don't know. What's your take on that?
0: Well, I was going to ask you, like, where does the responsibility lie? That's for sure a positive step, right? Because, you know, where is the responsibility? Because otherwise the council is going to come in and just stop all rogue building, right? So... It's going to take more and more issues, and then it's going to get more formalized, which is a double-edged sword. It, it really is. Very but safety, so. but safety-wise, it it unfortunately probably will need to go more towards that route.
1: Always, the the responsibility needs to be on the rider. The rider is Noted, always yeah. going. It should be, but in if some you ride, it's if you're not.
0: riding unmarked trails, then yeah, it's always, I guess, on the rider. Okay,
1: a hundred percent. But then if there's something that's out of place hey it should be marked that's consistency is what i've found and learned in my um professional trail building is what gets people when there's something that's out of place that it's like you're like like i said about trail speed you know jump 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 fine then all of a sudden one jump is either smaller or too long it doesn't fit the trail speed yeah but then that's where you get people
0: Yeah, even rogue building. And I think education. So this company you're starting is incredible. That's Oh, where? Oh, okay. I I need signs. Okay. Well, there's your solution. So no more excuse, but maybe that's also more education where it's YouTube videos or this podcast is they should be dedicated trails that have jumps. And then there should be like with a signage that this is an extreme trail, whether the trail builders got it right. Then at least, you know, okay, I'm going down an extreme one it's a rogue builder, it's on me to mm-hmm. go check it out. Or it's a blue trail. Yep. Like, guys, yeah, have respect for the trail markings even on, on rogue building, I guess.
1: Yep, 100%. And just educating people out there because that's the thing is, like, there's so many people going out there nowadays and and a lot of the people didn't have the background that we did and rode really janky, sketchy stuff and have the skills to generally handle almost anything that comes at you a lot of people just got in the sport and they're just riding flow trails like they don't know how to ride old-school janky rough rowdy trail
0: yeah true and and e-bikes is a is great for the industry but it's also bringing more and more uh inexperienced riders to to trailheads sure huh you must see that what's that yeah. like in on the shore and Canada um, and stuff
1: it's finally <laughs> it's finally accepted. You know, oh took, yeah. Like, you took... guys
0: had issues with that.
1: <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Like for the first little bit, e-bikes were just full faux pas. Like there's there's so much hate, especially in the States. There's still some areas in the States that are like, you know, you know, no e-bikes, but for the most part, everyone's kind of ditched their tune because most people have at least wrapped their legs around one and then realized that like, mm, yeah, I can see one of these in my future. Maybe not right now, but eventually one of these will be under me.
0: Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, that's how of text back and forth with so many people. The biggest one is, can we have a can we have a conversation or debate about this? I say that's not a debate. There's not two sides. Like no, literally. you you know, in the future you're gonna want to get one. You know, you're gonna probably ride more. You mm-hmm. why just accept it? Why fight it? Why fight it? Yeah, even and the batteries. thinking about it, do you just get one? It's just, if it's going to make you ride mountain bikes more, well, like, go for it.
1: Absolutely. And, like, uh, one, one thing that we can ch- throw into this conversation is the, the terminology on uh, full-size e-bikes and half-size. So, a full-size e-bike, e call it the hog. So, a half-size e-bike, call it the chub. So, we're going chubbing or we're going hogging? Hogging, chubbing. full-size These e-bike. are
0: Canadian words. They're not really universal. <laughs>
1: actually so yeah it is a it's, full
0: it's, hog and a chub what's what is it you're insinuating a chubby <laughs> it's half size <laughs> a full pint or a half pint
1: there you go uh yeah. wait actually, you know what yeah. pisses
0: me off like now you've got to you've got to talk about a normal bike as an analog some people are calling them analog bikes yeah i'm like that's just I've a even bike called,
1: i've heard it called an acoustic the other day i was like Wait a second! It's not a guitar. It's it's a bike.
0: <laughs> yeah, you get you get what it is, but you're like, I don't know, I'm not on, on board with that.
1: Yeah, I don't know about the analog as well. Yeah, it's dude, an interesting space we live in, but it's it's fun. Dude,
0: these e-bikes got what's the date? Oh yeah, they just they just released. Um, oh my I forget, god! I like forget twenty
1: five thousand dollars. <laughs> no, no,
0: not the price. You must be thinking of someone else with an S. That has bikes that expensive? No, it's fifteen point five kilograms or something.
1: Yeah, that's it's, the a, new Scott.
0: It's, it's a Chub.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> a the Chub with the TQ motor. Dude, you know I was it the other day. do you know how light that Dude, is? Do you know how light that is? Dude. It's like thirty one pounds.
0: It's like lighter than a downhill bike, and a downhill bike feels pretty good on the trail.
1: Dude, it's insane because I've been running the the Levo SL, and that's like thirty six pounds, and it's just it's such a game changer because for me, like I'm there's not much place in my you know repertoire for for a hog, Um, but the chub, you know that that's <laughs> the chub. That's for me, <laughs>
0: dude. The, the chub, a half chub, man. I agree. I'm all for the half chub.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it's, I uh, think they you know, all have guys- a diff-
0: different spot in the sport, but um, it's gonna. Mm-hmm. But just, dude, think about it in ten years we will be laughing at lighter and lighter. Yeah. We're like, yeah, we yeah. don't do no acoustic anymore. We don't do no analog.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the scary part is like in 10 years, like I know people that five years ago in the United States, when I first started going down riding and talking about riding with the e-bike, they were like, never, ever, ever, ever. Will I ride an e-bike now? They do not have a normal bike. Really? Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, did you bring your normal bike? And they're like, no, dude, I went full E as soon as I got this thing. It was like regular bike out the door. I don't even bother with it anymore. Yeah, when I get you were the one that was like so anti.
0: Crazy, dude. This yeah, that's Scott Lumen. I'm like, sign me up Father Christmas. That's what I need in my life. Absolutely. That's
1: a slick looking bike.
0: Yeah, no, they've done done well there. No, that's a that's a shameless plug, but it it deserves it. I actually can't wait.
1: Yeah, I, I can't wait. Yeah, and I'm actually starting my own bike brand eventually here once I get my. Uh,
0: shit I didn't know if that's awful on the table to talk about.
1: Ah, anything's on the table.
0: There you go. Talk to me. Talk to the listeners. We had right, a yeah. conversation that you. So I was going to ask you, and do you think sometimes, because you're full on with everything you do, sometimes you got into business maybe too early, side business too early in your career. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do something, you do it full on, right? And uh, you're gonna unfortunately, you've off, yeah, <laughs> but not a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I think my biggest bite off that I couldn't chew was a, a restaurant, and uh, yeah. yeah, that was some that was some hard learning lessons and uh, some good tax write offs. It was probably the only silver line <laughs> on that one. But um, with regards to the bike brand, you know, biking is what I know. You know, I'm, I'm very interested in geometry, designing, engineering, all that kind of stuff because I went to school to be a tool and die technician. So, you know, machining and, you know, metal working is in my blood. So I'm very interested in it. And obviously, I've been on a bike for my whole life and, uh, you know, I know what I like and I know what I don't like in terms of bikes. So, we spent the last pretty much year and a half uh designing the trail bike and super happy with it and we're like almost at the push go button stage and uh and now we're just kind of putting uh pushing the button for getting the uh, e-bike designed and engineered so that'll be uh the next on the hot sheet and uh the question is maybe i I can uh, let my listeners and your listeners chime in on this. Should you keep the bike in the bag and have pre-orders or should you just wait until you have inventory to show everyone what you've been working on? That's the question.
0: So 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 you were asking if you want to show them what it will look like and do the marketing spiel. And accept pre-orders, mm-hmm. or,
1: or only
0: or only do that once there is production timelines, and you could get it the next week or hand. something in hand.
1: Yes, yeah. So like that's that's your like two two models. Like one, okay, it's on the boat. It's going to be here in six months. I'm riding the bike. Everyone, check it out. Here's a button. Click to pre-order. Or do you keep it under wraps and? You know, do all that marketing and promotion when there's a click to buy now and get next week option. That's kind shit, of a conundrum that I have. That right now.
0: is such a conundrum. I mean, I liked mm-hmm. it when I was a kid, and and uh, the guys were on prototypes, and you couldn't get it yet, and it there's uh, so, so there's an allure to that. Um, shit, I don't know. I'm not deep enough yeah, in can, market, go marketing both. of a bike. <laughs>
1: It can go both ways, I think, but at the same time, I'm doing such low numbers. I'm gonna. Are you taking the this.
0: customers' money when they pre-order?
1: Yes, you would take a certain amount.
0: So, and then would it be a pro to the customer? Would he get a discount if he pre-ordered?
1: Um, you, you would have to do some sort of a discount for the pre-orders for sure. That would have to be involved. Whether it be Shut like a five, ten percent.
0: That's interesting, man. It's for you and your uh, partners to discuss. I guess it's a way to test um, orders, how many, what the quantity and stuff like that. If you can sweeten the deal, make it extra special, limited runs, and that could be quite cool. Yep.
1: Colorways and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so so wish me me luck on that venture.
0: I'm wishing you all the luck, but I know you're someone that puts your heart and soul into everything you do, so… I have all the faith mm. in it, but obviously you're not releasing a name and much more info than you just gave now, I guess, because this is what you just asked. Yeah. Is, is yeah I think, you I think that's,
1: that's, that's good enough for the, the, the planting tees. a bit of the seed.
0: <laughs> that's wicked. I'll uh, cut yeah. the audio for you and you can have this as a soundbite. You can tease it. <laughs> <laughs> Dikes. That's Love wicked, that. man. Uh, it's not a, not a bad way to round off. Um, Where do we see you next? What projects are we gonna see released on the World Wide
1: Web? Uh, What is next is Chasing the Inca part two. Look for that um, early spring. Uh, Ambrose Weingart will be editing that up and a bunch of uh, um, stuff on that. And then my next trip I'm trying to do is trying to ride down some crazy volcanoes in Indonesia.
0: Oh, wicked. All right, I'll look for my invite Mm -hmm. in the post. Right. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Do some surfing, spearfishing, and shredding Dude, down some volcanoes.
0: Sounds the dream, but you've you've worked your ass off to get to this point, and I look forward to the content. Claude, if there's anything else, let me know. Otherwise, I think the listener has some homework and should reach out to you and uh, give there you some give you some feedback on that bike question.
1: Absolutely, love to hear your comments, folks. Chime on All in right. any time.
0: Nice. Boys and girls, you know what to do, like, subscribe, follow the Claw on his journey. He's done so much for the sport. If you like this episode, share with a friend. I think that's the biggest thanks you can give me for uh, having these awesome chats, but uh, it was pretty fun. So uh, Claw till the next one. Thanks, mate.
1: Yeah, buddy. Good to hang with you, even if it's online. Always a pleasure, my friend.
0: I've always taken my health very seriously. But I must admit, it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins, what a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole-food-sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than 1 gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest, we all know We don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy, which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well.